So the super scoop, well, what's the what's the the purpose behind you just know, the happenings in Box Elder School District? It's just to keep people informed. Yeah, just to let them know what's going on. And- yeah. Well, let's go ahead and get started with this podcast. Welcome to the Box Elder School District Super Scoop, the podcast about the happenings in Box Elder School District. Today we are here with Assessment Director Jeremy Young. Well, we're here with Jeremy Young, the director of, what is your title, so Jeremy? Many th- I had, uh, so many things. Officially, and probably the main bulk of, of my role and what I do is assessment. So I'm the assessment director. Okay. Um, also over uh, ESL, English as a Second Language. Um, some places, like it has lots of acronyms. You probably hear ESL, ELL, which is English Language Learners, ALS, Alternate language for students. I mean, there's the MLL is, is probably the newest one, multilingual learners. Oh, yeah. um, but essentially, it's it's students whose first language is not English. And so how we serve them um, over DLI. Um, Which is another acronym, I was going to say. Another acronym. Interviewing all these people, yeah. it's like, and another acronym, and another acronym. Yeah. So, no, there's DLI is... So DLI is dual language immersion. Okay. So that's, we have, we have five elementary schools, and then and then moving up into our secondary schools, where students, half of their day, well, in elementary, it's half, and then it's smaller, higher up is, is in a different language. And we have two languages. So we have Spanish. We have four elementary schools with Spanish, and one elementary school with Chinese, where... Our students learn those languages and English half and half. Um, so I'm I'm over that at the district level. Um, I do a couple other things like federal accountability um, and state accountability. So when you see school report cards or um, reports that information that we have to send to the state or the federal government for the district, I'm, I'm over that. There's a couple other little odd jobs here and there, but those are my my main roles. So your director of assessments or whatever that title is, yeah. is only a small piece. Well, it's the main know. piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's the yeah. main piece. There's other small pieces, but that's my primary role is, is the director of assessment. And in all of the jobs that you do, what would you say is your favorite part of your job? Um, I, I really like getting, I mean, I'm a, I'm a former math teacher. I taught, oh. uh, as most good people are. Dave. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> former math teachers. And there's actually a fair amount of people here at the district office that are former math <laughs> teachers. Um, I don't know what that says about the profession of math teaching and, uh, or if it's people getting out of it or, or yeah. not. But I enjoyed it. it. No, it's uh, it's good. But I dig. I like the data. I like the numbers. Um, I like digging into that. And, and so I, I really like... Taking the, taking that data from those assessments and and helping um, primarily administrators is who I work with the most or school um, principals and, and assistant principals, um, but I, I I like it as well digging in at the teacher and team level, um, digging into the data and say what is it you know what can we learn from this and and how can we use it to to do what we do better. Yeah, I've had a lot of teachers that have talked to me. It said, oh, Jeremy created this awesome spreadsheet. And that's one thing I've noticed is that you're pretty good with spreadsheets and making it uh, show the data that needs to be shown and, you know, yeah, highlighting no, the goods. and Yeah, and, and really, I think it's more like I, I think people find value in, in 
uh, assessments kind of not always the favorite thing when it comes to but teachers or kids or parents when they see assessments or tests it's it's got a negative connotation yeah. to it for sure and so anything I, I and i kind of view part of my role as that is um anything that i can do to um make it helpful or uh -huh. useful you know and that's really uh, where where it's at if i can make it useful for them um then, then I'm kind of doing my job. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it gives purpose to it and it's, and it's not a, a waste of time, but it, it's, it's an important part, an important part of, of knowing if we're doing our job well and, and knowing what students need. Yeah. We've got multiple different levels of assessment. So we've got like a teacher given assessment, which uh -huh. sometimes we refer to as a common formative assessment. Uh -huh. and CFA, there's another the acronym. acronym. Yeah. Um, and then what most, uh, parents out there that are listening to this are used to the, like the end of unit assessments, right? So that summative assessment is what we call it. And then we have uh, district assessments and then we have state assessments. Um, and just so people know, so the MAPS test uh -huh. that we give in, what grades do we give the MAPS? Six through 11. Okay. Right and now. that is a... That's a district level assessment. And so, so that's not something that... Um, is tied to a curriculum or, or a class. Um, and it's not something that the state makes us do um, in turn. So the, so the state m makes us, um, you know, I, there's my air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> makes us. Um, so the state, there's certain state assessments that are tied to um, law, you know, essentially. So, so the, the state, either the state school board will put a rule in place, but a lot of times that comes from, from laws from our, uh, our, our state legislature. They'll those write would a law be like something. the rise. Sure. So, so right? like rise or like Acadians reading and Acadians math are, are those early numeracy and early literacy, um, measures. So the, the, the legislature will make a law saying we need to measure this. The state board will figure out a way, a, a way to do that usually by finding a test that a company has built already and saying this is what we're going to use and then they push that out to the to the state to the districts throughout the state and then we are the ones that that administer you know as administrators uh, we administer that testing and, and send them the, the data so that they can um, use it for whatever the law says and there's some that uh, that are tied to federal um you know the we and really, it kind of follows money. Um, yeah. Any time um, a, a school gets money from the state or the federal governments, there, there's, you know, it's not necessarily strings attached, but there's a level of accountability. So we're going to give you this money to do your job and to educate children, but we want you to show us the the results of what you're doing with that and what, the impact that it's having and usually that comes through the form of assessments yeah and those uh, assessments would be the acadians uh -huh. right that are k through five we give that one right yeah k through five um, okay. and really uh, from a from a state perspective it's only required first through third okay um our district um, brings on kindergarten fourth and fifth just because we find such value in it and and as you talk to teachers in those grade levels uh, and i and i think most parents for that matter are going to recognize yeah it's good for me to know what level my child is reading at uh, and and how i can support them and if they're on track and and if interventions are working those sorts of things i, I think 
as a general rule, people see the value of that, or at least have created a culture of, of seeing value in that. Yeah. And then the higher grades do the rise, they test. do rise testing at the end of the year. And so rise testing is third through eighth, um, uh, third, in third grade, they don't do science that picks up in fourth grade. And then in fifth and eighth, they add in a writing piece. And so your fifth grade has essentially four tests and, and your eighth grade has four tests. And then uh, ninth and 10th grade is the Utah Aspire Plus, which is kind of half ACT prep, half Utah standards. So Utah is unique that way. They've kind of combined um taken over that test so that half of it is Utah based and half of it is ACT prep. And so we can get both a measure of Utah standards as well as uh, the, the pre ACT score, the ACT predictor, and then ACT in 10th grade uh, or in 11th grade as juniors, we take the ACT uh, and that's all of our required assessments. Okay. And then, um, last year, Box Elder School District brought on the MAPS assessment. Right. And, and what kind of data do you see from that? And why, why did we decide to bring that one? On? Really, so really, we were looking because, um, so RISE is tied to our standards, right? And, but it's a one-shot end-of-year measure of our standards. And, and we like to see something that has a little bit more continuity uh, in terms of measures throughout the year. To, to see growth, to see product progress, to judge uh, effectiveness of instructions or curriculum or programs, um, you know, and, but we wanted something that was a little more objective. So in the past, we'd used some assessments that we called Bell's assessments that were tied to um, box elder standards. So there's, there's your acronym, Bell's box, box, elder, box elder learning, learning standards, standards nice. right? So Bell's. Um, and so, but they were teacher created. Mm-hmm. And so there's a level of subjectivity because our teachers were trained to be teachers. They weren't trained to be test writers. And although they have some experience with that, there really is a lot of nuance and a lot of expertise that comes from creating tests, creating yeah. assessments. Right. Uh, and, and so and we, we decided to take that off their plate, um, but also to bring in something that's a little more objective. Um, and we were looking for something that we could administer multiple times that's still tied to Utah standards, um, but would, would follow kids um, throughout their, their secondary school experience and really provide some historical data of, of their learning progress. Yeah. And then the nice thing about that, rather than the end of year assessment is that we can give it to them and then we can track and see, has there been growth throughout the year? And if not, then we can intervene. We can come in and right. say, Oh, what steps do we need to take where that end of year, the rise assessment, um, those types of tests are, uh, some people refer to them as an autopsy. Like we're already done. Now let's see right. maybe what we could have done differently or, but with the maps, we can, step in in the middle and say, oh, we need to do some more. Right. Well, and especially in our district where we have our three secondary schools, you know, a seventh grader takes it at the end of seventh grade. They're not even going to be at the same school next year to intervene. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, that, that sort of a thing happens as well. And so anything that we can provide some objective data um, on their learning and their progress um, throughout the course of the year uh, is going to be, beneficial i think but then i mean then there's that whole balance of of assessing too much yeah right you know right. I, mean, I that's that's a common um <coughs> a 
common conception anyway, or a common complaint is that we test kids too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear that, hear that a lot. Um, I had a, a teacher tell me that maybe it was last year, uh, say, man, we, I feel like all that's all my kids are doing is, is taking tests. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I did the math. Imagine that an old math teacher doing <laughs> yeah. some math. I, I did the math of how long on average students take, how many tests they take. Um, and it was a third grade student. And, and granted, third graders are probably the most tested in our right. in our district. They, they have take a cadence, lot. plus they have the rise. Right. Yeah. They have a cadence. They have rise. They have COGAT for gifted and talented. Uh, yeah. You know, they 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 get a lot of, of those assessments. And so uh, they have a cadence math. Um, yeah. which and is the, only first through third and the growth measure in math. So they've right. got some stuff along right. the way. Yeah. So, so they've got all of the, all of those assessments. Um, and, uh, this teacher saying they're just tested too much. And so I, I did the math of it and, uh, and it came to, came out to be, um, in the course of 180 days of instruction. Um, I think it was uh, a day and a half. Oh of, yeah. You know, <laughs> a, a day and a half of their, of their year was, was spent, testing and it's like oh that is pretty minimal yeah you know it's less than one percent of their time yeah was was testing and so i'm i think that the information that we glean from that is probably worth one percent yeah agreed and then we go down even further to the teacher created assessments that are given along the way and the common formative assessments the cfas that we Uh talked about um you know so we've got this these other two types of assessments, why would a teacher need to give a common formative assessment on more of a regular basis? Well, and, and so folks probably, well, some people are going to know what that means, common formative yeah. assessment. Um, really, it's um, it's helpful in a couple of different ways. One, the more often you know precisely what your, what your student can do um, and the, the better equipped you are to provide them with their next level of instruction. Right. And, and so it's rather than waiting three weeks and say, Oh, turns out I've been teaching you for three weeks and, and expecting you that you're picking this up and know it. And, Oh, you don't. And so we got to go back to where we were two weeks ago and, and start over there, you know, so timely intervention, same, same type of thing of, you know, I, break my leg and wait three weeks to go to the doctor yeah. as opposed to, Oh, I'm, I'm going to find out if it's broken now, you know? And, and so again, it's that balance uh, and our, our teachers really have, have gotten quite adept at being able to quickly assess with the CFA. You know, uh-huh. I mean, when we, when we talk about a common formative assessment, we're not, you know, sitting down your multi-page multiple response yeah. type of, type of assessment, a lot of times it's like three to five questions, like taking like a quiz at the end of class or, or a bell ringer activity, you know, they're, they're quick things. Sometimes it's even just teachers wandering around the class with a checklist in the, either in their mind or on their paper and say, all right, can this student do these things? Um, you know, what's given them the information to tweak and adjust their, their instruction. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you talked about like, Hey, a broken leg, like we want to get it figured out now. Um, a lot of people understand kind of sports because they've either done sports or they've seen sports and, you know, you, you have practice and you practice, but you really don't know until you compete. And that's kind of where that test would come in because then you can compare it. And then a lot of times, you know, 
baseball's real big right now because it's in season and they're comparing where the athletes are now to where they were last year. You know, so that mm-hmm. measure over time to see, mm-hmm. oh, are they better this year than they were last year? Right. You know, they're talking about an example, Aaron Judge, like he had 70 home runs last year or 60 something. But is he going to meet that this year because of where he's at? You know, right. so they're right. comparing year to year in athletics. And that's what we're doing in uh, school is we're saying, oh, where are they at? Where should they be compared to the norm? And what types of things do we need to do so that we can help the students learn best? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, it, and, it, and I mean, it's you know, there's there's a phrase that, you know, associated with PLCs and some trainings that um, the, that we've received, uh, teach, test and hope for the best. Uh-huh. Right. And, and that's that's kind of that mentality of I'm just going to teach. And at the end of the year, I'll take the test that we have to do and we're going to hope that they do well. You know, whereas opposed to if you incorporate that regular assessment, those common form of assessments, you as a teacher, you know how your kids are going to perform. You know, you know what they know, you know where they're at. And, and it's not a hope for the best. It's a all right. But this is this is our opportunity to officially demonstrate what we know. And um, and it's not never a surprise for those teachers that are involved in that that regular formative assessment. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, that I like that you were talking about is that we're always looking to see, I'm going to give this assessment so that I can either work with the student and help them improve. Or if it's an end of the year um, assessment, now I can reflect as a teacher and see what strategies do I need to do better or what things do I need to emphasize better so that next year I can get better. And the, the, I know the beginning you talked about accountability in the state and federal level, but Really, the teachers use the assessments to either get the student better and learn or get the teacher better and improve practices and always trying to get better. And you hope that over the course of the 30 or 40 years that a teacher teaches that they're able to improve every year because of those assessments. Yeah. I mean, there's there's really a continuum of um, of use, I guess, of, of, of assessment use, you know, I mean, there's a, a one end, you've got compliance and you're all right, I'll, I don't believe in this, but I'll give it because I have to. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, in an, an educational sense, um, that's, that's a waste of time. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if, if they're just giving it, they're not going to look at the data. They're not, it's not useful to them. Um, it's, it's a, a waste of time and it's just meeting the requirements, but on the, you know, on the far other end, um, and, and I, this is where I believe the vast majority of our teachers are, is, is they take every opportunity to learn about their students and themselves, um, from this data. And so they give it. And even though it may be required from the state or, or required from the district, uh, you know, um, it's it's a glimpse into how their students learn and how they perform, what they can do. Uh, and, and they use that. They use it to to, like I said, provide interventions, to tweak instruction, uh, to improve themselves, to, you know, kind of like what you mentioned. I see that. Um, that they use it to adjust curriculum as a teacher. That's something that we did in our, in our math department at Bear River High. We would, we would adjust pacing. We would adjust order that we, that we taught in, um, taught different concepts in. we, uh, how long we taught certain things like, Oh, we, we need to 
spend two days on this and maybe not any on this. And we would adjust that all based on assessment results. And, you know, um, if where we use made curriculum decisions based on it's like, oh, we are what we have is not enough to provide the, the resources and the training and the uh, and the depth of instruction and an exposure to these concepts to these students. We need more. And so we look for other other curriculum, other books or sources of um, of instruction. And we would evaluate program changes. We would evaluate schedules. We would evaluate so many different things based on the results of these assessments. And so there really is a lot of power there. Um, if it's it's more potential, yeah, um, that is wholly dependent on uh, on those who have the power to use it and have access to it. Yeah, um, to change gears under your still under your title still, but to talk a little bit about dual language immersion, so yeah, DLI. Um, do you, what are some of the benefits of somebody? Being in dual, dual language, um, one of my daughters, well, all of my kids are in it right now, but one of her concerns as she gets into high school is, am I going to be able to take all of the classes I want to take and be in DLI? Yeah. So, well, I can I can speak to this from a, um, from a personal level and a, an experiential level even. Uh, so I have five daughters and all five are in DLI Spanish. Um, over in Cash, I live over in, in Cash Valley, um, and so my oldest is finishing her sophomore year. So we've you know been into the high school and the bridge classes. Um, you know, in terms of of benefits, I mean, just being multilingual mm-hmm. is is a benefit. You know, I'm I'm multilingual. I speak Spanish and English, and I and I can I see so regularly times that I use my both languages, you know, and, and where that's been a resource to me and, and, a, and an asset. Um, and I, I see that happening from, from my kids as well. Um, you know, there's, there's research, um, that supports the, um, the way that the brain works when you, when you, uh, when you have multiple languages, um, and, and the, and the benefits there, um, just how, how it engages the brain and activates learning on multiple levels through multiple languages uh, is positive. Um, in terms of you get a, it, the, the schedule does get a little tight once you hit middle school. Uh-huh. Right. And, and, and that's a, that's a real concern. Yeah. You know, and, and a real, especially for those middle schoolers is there um, being able to select electives and, you know, it's their opportunity to, are a little independence and and you know guide their own path in a, in a way of oh finally I get some choice you know it's <laughs> right. not my parents or my teachers deciding for me all the time and so that that can be a little bit tricky because it really it does limit their options if they have to 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 stay in the DLI program they have to pick um, the the DLI classes as their electives yeah um, but but then you see that open back up um, later on. Um, so we, inter- we interviewed the valedictorian and salutatorian for Box Elder High School, and the salutatorian is actually a dual immersion kid. Okay. And she said, it's great because I was able to take all of these college classes. Yeah. Um, and now when I go to college, I'll be a junior. Yeah. Because of all of the concurrent enrollment, not only with her DLI stuff, but with all of the other ones. But yeah, um, it's that step up so that they're paying less when they go to college. Right. And, and that's, you know, that's 
a benefit. And, and while that's not necessarily the, the purpose right. of DLI, right? And it's, it's kind of a, a, a side perk um, that comes from progressing in, in the DLI program all the way through. You know, you, um, they, take the AP, they pass the AP test as, as freshmen or sophomores. And then if they continue in the language, they can take those three bridge classes. So three, 3,000 level university courses uh-huh. that are accepted by every university in the state. Um, and, and their minimal cost. Yeah. And what are, right. it's like a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's compared pretty small. To, right. Compared to like $250 of credit. Right. In which you're there three credit classes. So. Right. That's so a lot it, of money. Yeah. It, it say saves significant money and, and it allows your, your enrollment in university to be spent on other stuff. You know, so in the end it, it does, you know, while it might be tight in middle school and, uh-huh. and it does, schedule out you know if you if you stay in it some of your classes it does provide that opportunity for some of those those courses to be taken there yeah one of the other things that you brought up too is that she mentioned that it was the processing skill of being able to uh, learn english and spanish at the same time helped her in some of her other classes because she was able to process that language and process those other components of that so yeah she was she was a big fan of dual immersion and uh, loved it too. So yeah, well, and I've seen program. it. Uh, you know, I I recognize it personally, but I've seen it in my kids as well. Is just in understanding a second language and and um, and how it is uh, is created and and formulated and and um, and and just how you use it. Um, maybe maybe it it's more applies to Spanish than Chinese. I can't speak from the Chinese. Yeah. That, that they're pretty different. But the Spanish, for sure, I, I had a much better grasp of English oh, after yeah. after learning Spanish, and and I see that with my kids as well. The way that they um, their craft and structure with English because they have a better understanding of it um, through knowing both languages. You know, it's it's much more clear what some of those. Um, those pieces of language are uh, and, and why the rules are, are the way they are or, or what the rules even are, Yeah, you know, for, for a lot of us that, that just grow up speaking English, it's, that's just how it is. Right. Now, we don't know the rules behind it. It's just, that's just how we say it, Yeah, you know, and, and to, that, that's something that I think that our DLI students get probably even uh, unknowingly, um, benefit their their english uh what's the word i don't know well yeah the comprehension of the english language yeah being able to interpret that so yeah well we appreciate you uh and all that you do and help our district get better and our students get better too so thank you very much you're welcome